what you'll bring together now and forever i will remember now and forever i will remember Good evening, Foothill family. Welcome back to the 6 o'clock service. Welcome to Healing School tonight. Wherever you're at, just join us in worship. Go ahead and hit share right there below so your friends can join us as well. Spread the word, spread the gospel. People need the truth of the word at this time. Father, we thank you for this night, for this time to come together to worship. Be honored in this place and everything that we say and we do, God. You are first place in our lives. We love you, Lord. Salvation. 
You're all I 
Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Healing School. We want to minister along the lines of healing tonight to establish you in faith for healing, whether it is a situation where you need to take hold of healing for your body because there are symptoms of sickness or disease, or just to strengthen you in faith so that you can maintain divine health. I want to start in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12. Paul writing to Timothy. Timothy is the pastor of the church at Ephesus at this point in time that Paul writes. Ephesus is the most famous church in the world. It's uh, probably the largest. It certainly is the one that everybody looks to as the, um, the, the best, the greatest, the finest of the churches that were established by Paul in the uh, first generation after Jesus was crucified. So Paul writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12, and says, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Now I want you to think about that for a second. When Paul tells Timothy to lay hold of eternal life, he can't be saying get saved. He can't be saying to Timothy, I think it's really important for you to take hold of eternal life and give your heart to Jesus. He can't be talking about that because Timothy is Paul's son in the faith. He was closer to Timothy than he was to anybody. And he well knows Timothy's love for the Lord and his spiritual condition, knowing that he's uh, a part of the family of God. Well, if that's not what lay hold on eternal life means, what is it talking about? Well, the Bible speaks of the benefits of salvation. In the 103rd Psalm, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. There are benefits to being in the family of God. He enumerates several. He said, Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction and crowns thee with loving kindness and tender mercy. So we see that there are benefits, things that were purchased for us when Jesus died as our substitute. The peace of God belongs to us. But you're not going to have it unless you take hold of it. Healing belongs to us. But you're not going to have it unless you take hold of it. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto thou art also called. And hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. He's telling Timothy to utilize his faith to take possession of what belongs to him. The Bible tells us that the things that happened to Israel in the Old Testament are for us examples so that we would know not to make their mistakes and we would know how to take hold of what belongs to us. Well, the promised land that Israel was sent to that was provided for by God once they finally took hold of it under Joshua, Joshua's leadership. The promised land is a type of the church age for us. It's a type of 
living in Christ here on the earth, filled with the Holy Ghost, born by the Spirit of God, and the benefits that belong to us because of what Jesus took upon himself. Isaiah 53, 5 says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. So we see that provision is available to us. It's a benefit that's available to us. And healing from physical sickness and disease in our bodies is a, is a benefit as well. So he says to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on everything that Jesus purchased for us. Apparently being the pastor of the most famous church in the world doesn't give Timothy a pass. He has to believe God and exercise his faith just like the rest of us do. So Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. Well, a good fight, the only, way, the only way there could be a good fight is if you win. So when he tells him to fight the good fight of faith, he's telling him to be effective in his faith. He's telling him to be deliberate in his faith. He's telling him to take hold of what belongs to us through this thing called faith. Now, James says, without faith, it's impossible to receive from God. Paul wrote to the Hebrews, and said, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So what is this fight of faith? The Bible tells us that in Jesus' earthly ministry, there were 19 individual cases of healing. Now, that doesn't count the multitudes that were healed. It doesn't count groups like the 10 lepers that were healed as they went. But there are 19 individual cases of healing recorded in the four Gospels. It seems like there's more than that because many of the Gospel writers refer to the same instances. But of those 19 individual cases of healing in the four Gospels, a full 75% of them were healed on what the Bible identifies as their own faith. So the Bible gives us a record and shows us the necessity of the faith of the individuals. Now, we can certainly find examples in the four Gospels of the good fight of faith. And that's what I want to talk to you about for a few minutes tonight. Let's start in Mark chapter 5. Let's look in and let's examine different instances of healing in Jesus' ministry where people exercise their faith successfully. Because if we can follow their example, faith is the same for everybody in every realm. So if we can find out what they did to make their faith work, then we can see the, the path for our faith, faith to work too. Mark chapter 5, verse 25. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had and was nothing better, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. Now let's stop right there and think about what the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. It says, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So where did she get this faith that's going to bring healing to her? She heard of Jesus. What did she do after she heard of Jesus? She began to say, if I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. Now in Mark chapter 11, verses 22 and 23, Jesus identifies the God kind of faith. He tells us how it works. He said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe in his heart that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. 
I want you to recognize the similarity here, the parallel in Mark chapter 5. She heard of Jesus. What she heard of Jesus convinced her of Jesus' ability to heal her and his willingness to distribute healing power to all the children of Israel. And when she heard of Jesus, that faith was sparked in her heart, and she began to say something. See, folks, if you have faith, you'll begin to speak. Faith speaks. Faith of the heart speaks, not according to what it sees or feels, but according to the Word of God that deposits faith in our heart. So her faith began to speak. She said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue or power had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? Now we see the conditions under what, uh, under which, or the conditions that she was faced with when she came to Jesus. The multitude is thronging him. That simply means that as many people as can push their way to get close to, to Jesus to touch him are doing so. People are touching him on every side. And so when Jesus identifies or, or singles out one person that touched him, the disciples said there's no way to find him in this crowd. But Jesus looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. Verse 34, And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace, and be whole of thy plague. Now it's interesting to me that with an example like Mark chapter 5, with such specific detail that anybody and everybody can follow this example, it's interesting to me that Jesus didn't single out her faith as being great faith or something extraordinary. In other words, Jesus treated her as if she operated the way that faith is supposed to operate and she got the results. Simple working of the power of God. She believed and therefore she said and she got what she said. This shows us that even in, in impossible situations, doctors had given up on her. There was nothing else that they could do for her and she had spent all of her living trying to get help from medical doctors too. But when she heard of Jesus, when she heard of God's goodness to heal, and she must have, in my opinion, she must have heard of, of people being healed by touching his garment because that's what she had faith for. If she had heard that Jesus was healing people by the laying on of hands or that he was only healing people by the laying on of hands, then her faith to reach out and touch his garment wouldn't have been effective wouldn't have done anything for her, wouldn't produce the results for her. But thank God she got what she said. Straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up and she was healed of that plague. And Jesus said unto her daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace and be whole of that plague. Now turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. Let's look at some other examples of successful faith. Verse 1, when Jesus was come down from the mountain, Great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshiped him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will, be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way and show thyself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Now this guy, 
has half faith. He says, and what he says is his faith speaking, just like what the woman with the issue of blood said was her faith speaking. He identifies where he is in faith. He knows or believes that Jesus has the power to heal him. He believes that his leprosy, the incurable disease of Jesus' day, the dreaded leprosy that's highly contagious, and once you get it, that's pretty much it. There's no healing available. There's nothing that the doctors can do then or much, uh, almost the same thing is true today, I guess. He comes to Jesus and he says, I believe you have the power to heal. Well, he must have heard of Jesus too. He must have heard that Jesus was healing the sick. But whatever he heard or whatever he didn't hear didn't give him the confidence to believe that it was his. So he goes to Jesus and says, if you, uh, if you will, I believe you can heal me. And Jesus immediately reaches out his hand. Luke's account says that he was moved with compassion and reached out his hand and touched him, and immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now here's the reason that I bring this out, bring this healing event to your recollection, is because he went to the Word to get his answer. This leper that believed, based on what he had heard of Jesus, that Jesus had the power to heal, he went to the Word. The Bible says Jesus was the Word made flesh. He went to the Word to get his answer on whether or not God would heal him or whether or not it was the will of God to heal him. And thank God it's always his will. Now let's keep reading in Matthew because beginning in verse 5, it gives us another healing event, another faith that worked, an example of faith that worked. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou should come under my roof. But speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have, found, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. So he identifies this man as having great faith. Now what caused this man to have great faith in Jesus' eyes? Well, the only thing he says was that he understood authority. What did he understand about authority? Well, first of all, he understood that Jesus had authority over sickness and disease, or Jesus had the power to heal. But we saw that in the leper in the first couple of verses of the chapter. The leper believed that Jesus could heal him. But believing that God can heal isn't sufficient to bring healing to, uh, to bear in the situation to heal your physical body. The centurion believed that Jesus could heal. But he also believed something else. He went a step further that enabled him to take hold of the healing for his servant by faith. He said, I understand authority. Now, again, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. This guy, this centurion, is operating in such a way so that we can see the example of his faith bringing him results. What was the example of his faith that we should follow? Or what was the example of his faith that made Jesus com com uh, comment that it was great faith? He understood that authority was released in words. 
he understood that the power of God, the healing power of God, was just as effective if Jesus spoke the word of healing as if Jesus came to his house and laid hands on his servant. He recognized that the spoken word was the key to the exercise of authority. That's what he identified. He said, I'm a man under authority. I have servants under me. If I tell my servant to do something, he does it. If I tell somebody to come, he comes. If I tell somebody to go, he goes. He understood that authority was exercised. His military experience, I guess, is what identified to him the way that authority works in the spirit realm to exercise the, the healing power of God over sickness and disease, just like it works for him as a centurion with soldiers and servants under him. So Jesus marvels at it and says, I have not found in Israel so great faith. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast into outer darkness and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is saying it's not just the Jews that can exercise faith and take hold of the blessings of God or lay hold of eternal life as Paul told Timothy. Then Jesus said unto the centurion, Verse 13, go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto you. Now turn with me to Matthew chapter 15. Here's another case where Jesus identifies great faith on the part of the individual. Verse 21, then Jesus went thence and departed under the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Anytime somebody in the four Gospels identifies Jesus as the son of David, that's messianic talk. That means they believe that he's the Christ, the one that was prophesied. So she comes basically saying, Jesus, I know that you're the Christ. I need your help. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Verse 23, but Jesus answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, send her away, for she cries after us. Now, folks, there must be a period of time that's going, taking place here. We can uh, read it. I think sometimes we make a mistake by reading the story and assuming it's all happening, just one thing right after another, bang, bang, bang type thing. But when Jesus refuses to answer the woman, even after she recognizes that he's the Messiah, even after she uh, exhibits or shows that she believes he has the force or the power or the ability to help her, Jesus doesn't answer a word, but she doesn't leave. The disciples ask Jesus to send her away because she won't leave. So some period of time passes. We don't know how long. We don't know how um, many minutes or hours took place with her continuing to try to get to Jesus. Apparently, she spoke to him initially, but after that, she's trying to get back through the disciples to get back to where Jesus was. And so the disciples are saying she's a nuisance. She's causing us problems. She won't leave. And folks, that is the, the outstanding characteristic of this woman's faith. She wouldn't take no for an answer. But Jesus answered. The disciples said, send her away for she cries after us. But Jesus answered and says, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In other words, Jesus is saying, according to the prophecies that have gone before on me, my first work is among the children of Israel. After that, Jesus did go to the, to the uh, Gentiles. He spent most of the last year of his three years in ministry ministering to the Gentiles, but he first gave 
the children of Israel the opportunity, the exclusive opportunity to receive what God had uh, anointed him to do. So when Jesus answers and says, I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, she's been rebuffed the second time. The first time she didn't get any answer at all. The second time she got an answer that basically said it doesn't belong to you yet. But notice what she did in verse 25. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. She calls on the mercy and the loving kindness of God. But notice what Jesus does. Jesus answers and says it's not right, meat or right or appropriate to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. Here's the third time she's being rebuffed. The first time Jesus didn't answer anything. The second time Jesus says it doesn't belong to you Gentiles yet. The third time Jesus says it's not right. And of course he's talking about the same thing that he referred to before. He's saying it's not right to take the blessing of God for the Jews and give it to the Gentiles, at least not right yet. So Jesus answers and says it's not right to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs, but because this woman will not give up. She will not cease to petition Jesus for what she wants on behalf of her daughter. So she said, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Now this story isn't telling us that the woman is satisfied or settles for a partial portion of the healing power of God. But rather it shows us that she will not be denied. She will not be denied. I see a lot of people that want me to pray for their healing and we do but then after we pray for the healing they get a bad report from the doctor or some circumstance comes along that makes it seem worse than it was even before and they're so quick to give up they're so quick to throw in the towel but the example of this woman and the example of this woman's great faith is that she would not let go she would not take no for an answer she came to receive something and she's not going to quit until she gets it finally Jesus relents he said daughter great is your faith be it unto you even as you will and her daughter was made whole from that very hour folks the part of the fight of faith is perseverance part of the fight of faith a good part of the fight of faith in fact is just a refusal to take no for an answer the devil is going to try to raise up, raise his head up against us in any number of ways. He's going to try to manipulate the circumstances and the symptoms. And when he does, he's going to tell you that it's proof that your faith has, isn't working. He's going to say it's proof that God doesn't want you well. This woman, however, refused to give up. She refused to take no for an answer. And that perseverance, that unwillingness to let go is what the Bible identifies as the reason that her great faith brought healing to her daughter. I want you to look with me to another example of healing now. Look with me to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, talking about Abraham and his example in faith. 
Verse 14, I'm sorry, verse 17. Romans chapter 4, verse 17. It starts off, Paul refers to Abraham as the example of faith or the father of faith. It says, as it is written, I have made thee the father of many nations. In other words, it's telling us, Paul is saying this was the, pro this was the promise that God gave to Abraham when Abraham was 75 years old. But that promise didn't come to pass until Abraham was almost 100. 25 years lapsed between the time that God first told him he would have a child and when that child was born. And I'm sure during those 25 years, there were a lot of years, a lot of times where he was discouraged. Genesis chapter 15, for example, tells us that God appeared to Abraham and said that he was his, his reward and his exceeding uh, it told him, Fear not, for I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And the first thing that Abraham speaks to him about, at this point Abraham's probably in his 80s, probably late 80s, maybe 90. But the first thing that Abraham says, after God shows him the stars of the sky and says, this is how your descendants will be. They'll be without number. Abraham says, how is this going to happen? It's been so long already. In one way, it seems that he's given up, at least he's on the edge of giving up. But God reaffirms his promise. And that promise is that his seed will be as the stars of the sky. So it says, God said to him, I have made thee the father of many nations. God said that to him before he ever had children. God speaks of things as if they're already done, even though we can't see them yet. And that's what he did here. Notice the next phrase that says, before him whom he believed. The word before him is the word like. In other words, it's saying that Abraham became an imitator of God. Well, an imitator of God in what way? Well, let's keep reading. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before or like unto him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Now, what was Abraham's problem or he becomes Abraham what was Abraham's problem in this whole situation well by the time that the promise comes to pass or the promise is, is determined to come to pass his body is too too old to function in a sexual manner so that he could impregnate his wife Sarah and have the child so we could say it this way to make the point his body was sexually dead but here it says he became an imitator of God. How did he become an imitator of God? Well, the only way that he could imitate God was to do what God does. And that is speak life to dead situations and call things that be not as though they were. So somewhere along the way, somehow, Abraham had to begin to speak life to his body. He had to take the circumstances of his lack of sexual vigor and begin to say what God said rather than what things looked like. He had to. If he became an imitator of God, he had to begin to say. See, it's not just enough to know that God's promise is out there. In fact, the whole church world has the promise of God for healing from sickness and disease, from every sickness and every disease. But just having that promise, the fact that God made the promise isn't enough to make you well. You and I have to do something about that to take hold of it. And somewhere along the way, we're going to have to start speaking life to our bodies. And that's what Abraham did. He began to speak life to his body, sexual life, sexual health, 
to his body. And Sarah had to do the same thing, the Bible tells us. So he became an imitator of God who quickens the dead, makes dead things alive, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Now, how does God make dead things alive? Through his word. So Abraham had to become an imitator of God. And the scripture is telling us very specifically that Abraham was an imitator of God and then tells us how. He began to speak life to his body. Verse 18, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. He's imitating God. He's calling things that be not as though they were. He knows there's no natural hope. He knows that his body is in such a condition that outside of the supernatural healing power of God, there's no way for his body to enter into this sexual relationship with his wife to produce a child. He and Sarah are both too old. There's nothing they can do. But even though there was no, nothing natural, nothing physical to hope in, he put his hope in God, who against hope believed in hope, to this end, here's the reason why he did, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. As I said before, folks, it's not enough just to know that the promise of God is there. You've got to do something to take possession of it for yourself. You've got to take hold of it, lay hold on eternal life, lay hold on the promises of God, if you're going to enjoy them and walk in the midst of them. So that's what he did. He took the word that God gave him, so shall thy seed be, when he showed him the stars of the sky. And that word of God became the, the anchor for his hope. He didn't have any natural circumstance to rely on. The only thing he could rely on was the word of God, the promise of God, and that's what he did. Verse 19, and being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Again, this is showing us the physical, the physical conditions or circumstances of their bodies. But that physical condition became second place to Abraham's reliance on the promise of God concerning his children. Being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Folks, I want you to notice in verse 19 identifies for us that weak faith versus strong faith is a choice. It's a choice. It indicates that Abraham did certain things to keep him from being weak in faith. In other words, he chose to be strong in faith. It wasn't just a matter of God said it and so it came to pass. God had said it 25 years before. God said it 25 years before Abraham ever really took hold of it by faith. And so it was his choice to be strong in faith. It was his choice to not be weak in faith. Let's read it again in verse 19. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. We can turn that around and see what weak faith does. Weak faith considers the body. Weak faith considers the circumstances. And those circumstances contradicted what God's word had promised. The promise that God had made to Abraham specifically and, and individually. So he's got a choice. He can either walk by what God said or he can operate according to the way that he sees his body. He chose not to be weak in, in faith. 
And so he considered not his own body now dead. In other words, he didn't let the physical circumstances of his body determine his outcome. But instead, being strong in faith, verse 20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Now, folks, here's what strong faith does compared to weak faith. Weak faith considers the circumstances. Weak faith looks at the condition of the body and judges what is or is not according to the flesh. Weak faith says, well, I know the promise of God is for the Lord to heal me. Jesus bore my infirmities and took my sicknesses, and with his stripes I was healed. But my body is so far gone, I don't guess it's going to happen for me. But strong faith turns around. Strong faith doesn't look at the body. That's what the word considered in verse 19 is really about. The word considered means to look intently or to gaze intently at something. In other words, to keep your eyes on something. Well, what did Abraham keep his eyes on? Well, we know that he didn't keep his eyes on his body. So then what did he keep his eyes on? Looking unto God, looking unto the promise of God, he was strong in faith. He staggered not through unbelief. In other words, he didn't accept the condition of his flesh, the physical circumstances of his flesh to determine what his outcome was going to be. So he staggered not through unbelief, but was strong in faith, looking unto the promise of God. That was the only thing that he had to look at other than his body. And folks, we all have the same choice to make. When it comes to operating by faith, walking by faith, we all have the same choice to make. Our bodies are going to uh, be in circumstances, experience circumstances and symptoms that are going to disagree with or contradict what God's Word says about healing belonging to us. So we're going to have the same choice as Abraham had, and this is just a part of the fight of faith that we're going to have to determine where we are. We're going to have to determine, are we going to look at the promise of God which promises us that beyond what we can see and feel in our bodies at the present time? Or are we going to consider our bodies and let our bodies dictate to us what promises of God will be or will not be ours? Abraham was strong in faith looking to the promise. He kept his eyes on the promise. Folks, what you look at is everything. We have to learn to see ourselves with the answer. We have to learn to see ourselves well. See ourselves healed. See ourselves walking in strength and victory. Because the devil's going to do everything he can to try to remind us of the circumstances. He's going to try to remind us of the conditions of our body. And he's going to tell us every time the conditions of our body that, re, that contradict the word of God means that our faith isn't working or that God doesn't really want us to have what his word says. So Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. Now, how did he keep from staggering at the promise? Well, we've already seen that he was looking unto God. He kept his eyes on the promise of God. But one of the things that is going to happen whenever we see ourselves with the answer, in other words, we can get to the point in faith where we see ourselves the way the Bible says, no matter what our flesh is experiencing or the circumstances surrounding our flesh. But once we come to the place where we choose to look only at the Word of God and not at our flesh. That's the point 
where if we really see ourselves healed, if we really see ourselves walking in the blessing of God, then we're going to start thanking God for the reality of it in our lives. That's what Abraham did. Abraham was strong in faith. Notice the first characteristic it speaks of concerning strong faith. Now, there are several characteristics we've already discussed. For example, the first one we saw is that Abraham became an imitator of God, calling things that be not as though they were. And the Bible tells us what the things he called uh, were, and that is he began to speak life to his body. So that's a characteristic. Looking under the promise of God, that's a characteristic of strong faith too. But the ones that the Bible identifies and really specifies is that Abraham was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Abraham began to confess or praise God for the answer that he had not yet seen. Abraham began to thank God because his body was alive, even though the physical circumstances showed that it wasn't. Now, that's a place where a lot of people get in, uh, well, I start to say get in trouble. But what I really mean by that is experiencing the conflict of the fight of faith. Because the devil will start telling you that you're lying when you speak things contrary to what your physical body evidences. If you start speaking healing when the symptoms of sickness are still in your body, the devil's going to tell you that you're lying. Folks, how can you lie by quoting what God said? How can you lie? And a lot of people will stop at this point, and that's where they are detoured from the blessings of God becoming a reality in their life. But how can you lie when you say what God says or quote God's word about you? Because the Bible says, the Bible tells us very specifically that the word of God is truth. It may not line up with the physical facts or the circumstances in your flesh, but God's word is always true. So how can you lie when you're saying what God's word says? How can you lie when you're telling the truth from God's point of view? Abraham was strong in faith, and he began to glorify God. He began to thank God for the answer before he saw it. And then the last characteristic that it identifies about Abraham was that he was fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. How did Abraham become fully persuaded that God could do what he promised to do? Well, by the time Abraham becomes 100 years old and Isaac is born, there's a lot of things that God has done for him along the way. There were a lot of impossible things that God worked out for them, for him. And so he has experience. He has a great deal of experience, 25 years of walking with the Lord, seeing the things that God has done, seeing the promises God has made and kept to him. And he relies on those. Folks, we're supposed to use our faith victories as springboards for the next fight of faith. We're supposed to keep in mind and keep in our remembrance the things that God has done for us before, the impossible situations, the impossible circumstances that we uh, experienced at other times prior to the, the current fight of faith. We're supposed to remember how God provided for us and use that faithfulness of God to keep his word, to stand in faith, stand strong in faith, no matter what the next battle is. So Abraham was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Folks, it would do us all a world of good to begin to say, 
as an, uh, a matter of course in our lives to begin to say that nothing is impossible with God and nothing is impossible with them that believe. Well, Abraham's answer came. But a lot of people would say perhaps we're making a doctrine out of something that's really not there in the Bible. Well, let's see if we can find another example of somebody that followed Abraham's faith. Turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, we'll close with this. It tells us about how, well, let's just read it. We'll take a few minutes to read it. Let's start in verse 16, Acts 16, 16. And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying or fortune-telling. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace and unto the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them. And the magistrates ran off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Verse 25, And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open he drew out his sword and would have killed himself supposing that the prisoners had been fled but Paul cried with a loud voice saying do thyself no harm for we are all here then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said sirs what must I do to be saved and they said believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved thine thy house Folks, Paul understood the importance of praising God for the answer even before you see it. Now, if you were in that prison, maybe you were in an adjoining cell in that prison. The Bible said they prayed and sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them. I wonder what they heard them doing. It says they heard them praying, but they must have heard them singing praises unto God too. Now remember the end of the story. It tells us that there was an earthquake that opens everybody's prison door. And the chains and the stocks fell off everybody's hands and feet. Not just Paul and Silas. And so everybody is able, free in the respect that they can leave the prison. What in the world kept them there? Folks, the only thing that I can imagine which would have caused that kind of result is if they heard Paul and Silas praying for God to release them and get them out of the prison and then sang praises unto God for having heard them. Then when the earthquake takes place and everybody's doors are open and everybody's chains and stocks fall off their hand and feet, then they sit in place with the ability to flee, the ability to run away and escape. 
but they're waiting to see what these people are going to do next because what they've just experienced is very obvious to them, the result of their prayer and their thanksgiving. Paul is the one that wrote to the Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, I believe it is. He said, be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Folks, we're not supposed to be people that just pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and ask God over and over and over again to do something to deliver them. But rather the prayer of faith believes that it receives when it prays and is left with, is left with nothing further to do except to count it all joy and offer the sacrifice of praise. Let's do that right now. Let's just thank God for his goodness. Whatever you're believing him for, whether it's physical healing, whether it's provision, whatever you're believing him for, let's thank him because he's heard us and he's at work on our behalf right now. Father, we bless you. We magnify your holy name. We thank you for the healing that we have sought you for. We thank you for the provision or the other benefits of Jesus dying as our substitute. We thank you that you've heard and answered our prayers because we prayed according to your word. And so, Lord, we just magnify your name. We bless you. We glorify your name, just as Abraham did. He was strong in faith, giving glory to God in the same way we choose to be strong in faith, looking at your promise, the promise of healing that has been accomplished for us through the work of Jesus. We thank you for your promise, your promise to prosper us, and to provide for us no matter what goes on in the world around us. We bless you, Heavenly Father, for your goodness and your mercy. We glorify your holy name. We don't take lightly the privilege that we have to walk by faith or to walk in faith, to have our words come to pass when we speak from our hearts that which your word reveals. We bless you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for being our healer. We thank you that you're always our healer. We thank you that there's nothing that's too hard for you, that you're able to keep your word in every situation, in every circumstance, no matter what else is attached to it, no matter what's going on in our lives or in our bodies. We bless you, Lord Jesus. We bless you, Lord Jesus. We thank you that healing belongs to us. We thank you, Father, that you've redeemed our lives from destruction. We thank you, Lord that your word is life unto us for we have found it and it's health to all our flesh. So good to be healed, Lord. It's so good to be healed. Thank you that Jesus has done the work and we simply reap the benefits by faith. Thank you, Father, for your goodness and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God is good. Thank you so much for joining us tonight for Healing School.